You would take your Bibles and open them to John chapter 4. We'll continue our study in the Gospel of John. Picking up in chapter 4, verse 1, reading down through verse 26. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Lord, we're astounded again and again by your word the way you pursue, lovingly pursue sinners, coming to give living water that wells up to eternal life. 
what beauty. By your spirit, would you help us see and hear these things today? Would you shape us? Lord, reveal the thirsts in our own hearts. The bad cisterns that we go to, to fill up. Help us, Lord, help us to see. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. High and well-guarded tower, big castle walls, a beautiful young maiden, an evil ruler, sinister-looking guards, a knight in shining armor. With all these pieces together, we can kind of predict, we, we, we can kind of anticipate where this story is going. Young maiden is stolen away into the tower and then this knight in shining armor is deployed to, to go rescue and then follows a romance and we know the story. Paying attention to details as things get framed up for us, we can anticipate certain things. John does a ton of that in this text. He's trying to put the pieces of the, the story together to, to build some anticipation. Our text opens with Jesus deciding to leave Judea. We see jealousy there. The, the Pharisee had, Pharisees had gotten wind that Jesus was out there um, making more disciples, baptizing more than even John, and that was a bad kind of attention, not the kind of attention that Jesus wanted. So he leaves and goes back to Galilee, and here we read, and he had to pass through Samaria. It's an interesting statement, an interesting point. If you were in Judea, if you were in the Jerusalem area, and you pull up your iPhone directions, it's the quickest way to go through Samaria. Just go straight north up to the Sea of Galilee. But a lot of people in this day and age didn't do that. You know, sometimes the, the, your phone will give you out-of-the-way crazy directions. Like, if you want to take those crazy directions, you can. And they would often do that. They would cross over the Jordan River and go north and then cross back over around the Sea of Galilee or walk all the way around it. It was a roundabout way to do it, but a lot of people did it because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't get along. They weren't a cultural fit. And we'll talk more about why that is. But Jesus had known options. And so when the text says he had to go through Samaria, just pay attention. That's one of the building blocks that you're meant to see. His iPhone could have told him to go another way. The text said he had to go this way. There's a lot to that story, a, a, a lot of inbuilt hatred here. After Solomon, the kingdom split in two, Israel to the north, Judah in the south, and this northern portion was eventually captured, seized, and rather than just leaving with um, all the inhabitants of Israel, when the kingdom split, the Assyrians stayed. They stayed and they began intermarrying with Israelites. And that's why those of 
Judea, they, they didn't like that. They, didn't, they said no. In fact, we'll see in a minute, they're going to have these two split uh, houses of worship. All of this is loaded into the text. To the Jews, the Samaritans are an evil cousin, a half-breed, less than, not good enough. We need to see all of that if we're going to catch a glimpse at what Jesus is actually doing here. Into that scene, we read this. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's noon, middle of the day, the heat of the day. Jesus comes to this small town. There's a rather famous well. You can go back and read about this in Genesis, where Jacob doles out land to his sons. This is the portion that was given to Joseph, and they, they held some kind of pride for that. Hey, this is our dude's well. The well coming on the scene is another one of those building blocks that we should anticipate something. You see, reading through your Old Testament, you see that wells, when they come on the scene, mean life. Do you remember when Hagar had been thrown out? And she's fearing for her own life and her son's life, and then she looks up and spots a well. And water meant life. Wells formed the, the scene, the, the backdrop to marriages. Isaac and Rebekah. It's at a well where Jacob meets Rachel. We come across a well in scripture. Here's what we should anticipate. This is, again, a building block that we need to see. We should anticipate life. We're being told something. And this is a story of, about not just one kind of thirst, not just physical thirst that you're going to draw up from this well and drink. It's a story actually of two thirsts. Two thirsts, two kingdoms, and one answer for both. This whole conversation is dominated by thirst. There Jesus is at the well in the middle of the day, and then a woman comes to draw water. It's an odd thing because typically drawing water, you, you can see it in other places in scripture even, but it was just known culturally. You go together, it's a communal activity. The women of the town go together, safety, a, a way to be together, and they go in the, early in the morning and late in the evening when it's cooler. Here Jesus is in the middle of the day and here this woman comes to draw water. She's not in community. She's all alone. Shockingly, Jesus speaks to this woman at the well and even asks her to serve him. All of this, by the way, is evangelism. This is all Jesus sharing the good news with her. And it's shocking because typically Jews and uh, Samaritans didn't, didn't really converse much. And much less a, a man with a woman, and she's going to point that out in just a minute. It's, it's a remarkable thing. He said to her, give me a drink. 
I think sometimes we, we speed right past that. You see, the, it's the story of two thirsts, not just one, not just her thirst. His thirst is on the scene first. And that should astound us because we have to remember who John told us this was. This was the, the one who spoke all things into existence. There would be no water without this Jesus. And he is thirsty. Jesus speaks to this woman as one who comes to seek and save the lost. That's why he's speaking to this woman. That's why he's willing to, to, to violate all these social norms and customs. Those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. He's talking to her, sharing good news because she needs it. His heart is, is on display. He's thirsty for water. He, he's, he makes himself vulnerable. He puts himself out there in relationship. How are we at that? How are we at being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there? How willing are we to cross social and cultural boundaries to tread propriety for the sake of the gospel? 2,000 years have gone by. We're still astonished at this story. Yet we're invited into the very same reality. This is what the church does. The church doesn't play by the rules of the day. It, it never has. We're people who share good news and are willing to go to the other to do it. Going to the other, sharing the life-giving news of Christ. Listen to this quote. This is Lewis in The Four Loves. Quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal, end quote. Jesus is willing. He opens his heart up to this woman and, and he starts a conversation with her. He, he is... He is vulnerable. He is not closed off. He's open. The woman is shocked. How is it that you, a Jew, are speaking to, to me, asking a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She knows that he's violating custom. The thirst of Jesus should astound us, but there's another thirst that's going to weave in and out of the rest of this text. Jesus talks about this next thirst. He said, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. On the surface, it sounds as though Jesus is saying, if, if you knew me, you'd be asking me for a drink. That's the way she's going to take it. She's going to not hear it. 
But we are meant to catch that there's another thirst going on here. Again, if we know our Bible, Jeremiah 2, we heard it earlier, Yahweh calls himself the fountain of living waters. Psalm 36, for with you is the fountain of life. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And then Psalm 42 referenced earlier, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's the thirst that Jesus is getting at with her. The water that Jesus is offering is life-giving. This water nourishes and satisfies all creation and people. This term new here is interesting. If you only knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and then he goes on to talk about who was saying to you, give me a drink. He's talking about himself. So right up front in the conversation, he's not hiding anything. He's saying, look, you're, you're thirsty for something, and what you're really thirsty for is me. Knowing Jesus is the cure for the thirst that you have. If you only knew the gift of God, knowing Jesus. It appears she doesn't understand. You don't have anything to draw water with. You came to the well... And now you're saying, I should ask you for a drink. And you don't, you don't have any way to draw water. John uses irony all the time and misunderstanding. He does it beautifully here. First, the woman sees the obvious impossibility of drawing water that's living. She's saying, you can't get there. Second, she completely skips over the gift. She doesn't even mention Jesus saying anything about a gift. She skips over it. And then she ironically asks Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? You see, there's some pride here in her. This is Jacob's well. He was a powerful, you read the patriarchs, Jacob was a powerful man. He did a lot of really powerful things in his life. In fact, it wasn't until he was hurt that he finally was humble. He was a powerful patriarch. And she's saying, are you better than him? See the irony here? Just like the banquet master in Cana with the new wine was brought in. He's like, where did this come from? There's a lot of mystery. Like Nicodemus, who marveled at the teaching of Jesus with his jaw dropped open to the floor. He's not getting it. Here the woman is perplexed about this water and where it comes from. And in every instance where they don't know this irony, this misunderstanding, we are meant to see Jesus. It is coming from him. He is the source of that incredible wine. He is the wind that will blow. He, he is the living water. And Jesus corrects her in verse 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's like he's pointing to the well. You drink this and you're going to be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So if we evaluate our question, earlier question, Jesus helps answer, what, what is the second thirst? 
It's not his kind of thirst, which is astonishing that the very Son of God would come to a well and say, I'm thirsty. But this is also astonishing. It's like, that will not satisfy you. You're going to drink of that time and time and time again, and you're always going to be thirsty again and again and again. But if you drink of me, not only will you be satisfied, but living water is going to well up in you and overflow like a spring. You can't stop it up. It's going to fill you up to overflowing. Jesus is telling this woman that she needs something more. Again, there's another building block in, in this story that he's telling us. Woman, you need something more. You keep getting thirsty. You need something more. You need this, this living water. Ultimate satisfaction is what you're looking for. Living water is more than just forgiveness. It's all of life. And we are invited to drink of that. To die of thirst is to dry up. Our bodies are made of water. We need water. The body cries out. The tongue swells. The throat burns in pain and you die in torment. And Jesus is using all of this in the spiritual realm. Spiritual thirst. You keep getting thirsty and you keep coming back. You keep hiding in shame. Finally, in verse 15, the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's thinking physical thirst. Again, just to see what Jesus has done up to this point, he's willing to have a conversation even across boundaries, racial, ethnic boundaries, propriety. Even in his weakness, he invites a conversation. He is thirsty and they are hungry. The disciples are off buying sandwiches. He gets the interest of this woman. Talking about water and the sacred well with her. Now he gets personal. She's interested in what Jesus has said enough to say, okay, give, give me some. Give me some water. And then Jesus says something shocking. It's going to blow the lid off the whole thing. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and come here. What? What in the world? He's getting, he's getting into her heart. He knows her heart. Go, go get your husband and come here. Is this a change of subject? Is Jesus, right when she asked for the water, is he redirecting? No. And he's not condemning her. He's bringing conviction. He's revealing to her this spiritual thirst that he's been talking about. I'm not thirsty like that, Jesus. I'm not like that. Jesus puts his finger right where she is, right on her heart. Go get your husband. The whole time she's been denying his ability to satisfy her thirst or even what it is. And then finally when she says yes, Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. It's just an odd thing. The issue, her thirst, is an issue of her heart. He isn't, again, saying this to condemn her. He's saying, I'm going to show you your spiritual thirst. The woman answered him, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This would have been a source of great shame. He's not just knocking down all these other barriers. He's also coming right into the heart of a woman who is full of shame. The reason she is at the well is shame. The reason she is not living communally with other ladies in a small town like Sicker is because of shame. She's there in the middle of the day because nobody else in their right mind is going to be there in the middle of the day. And she's not going to have to interact with anybody else because of shame. Because of her sin. And Jesus is pointing out that that is the precise nature of her spiritual thirst. She keeps going to that well time and time and time again. The fact that you have so many hus- have had so many husbands, Jesus is pointing out, is a direct result of your spiritual thirst. Men have been running her life. She's deeply thirsty for acceptance, intimacy, sex, companionship. Jesus, Jesus is saying that dominates your thirst. That's what you're after. You're really longing for God. You're looking in all the wrong places. She's been longing for the approval of men. Again, this isn't a disconnected, disjointed conversation. It's very smooth. And Jesus reveals her thirst. So the question has to come to us. What are we thirsty for? What are we longing for? What isolates us like this? Are we thirsty for acceptance? Approval of others? Companionship? What are the ways that our spiritual thirst manifests itself in our lives? This would have produced a ton of shame for her. There's no doubt in a room this size, there's a lot of people dealing with shame. Have you ever connected shame to the thirst of your life, the way you try to satisfy yourself? Remember all the building blocks of our story, though, we should expect life. The second thirst is a thirst for satisfaction, belonging. The woman was drinking again and again of this well. Men, men will satisfy me. Another relationship will satisfy me. Finally, this guy will satisfy me. And Jesus is saying, you're going to keep coming back to this well again and again and again, and you're always going to leave thirsty. We have so many wells in our lives we look to for satisfaction. We all drink from some fountain. In her case, men, it could be our career, our outward appearance. Again, being in the right group, having acceptance by the right people, being in the right crowd, money. The list goes on and on and on. The things that our souls thirst for. Here's the thing, you won't really encounter Jesus until you realize you've been drinking from your own idols. False cisterns that are empty, that can't even hold water. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, look, you're going again and again and again to your idols. 
They will not satisfy you. Really consider the question, where, where do you go to feel alive? What links are you willing to go to to be accepted? Where do you go to feel good? The reality that Jesus is presenting is the only thing that will satisfy you is me. And in me, I'm going to fill you up to overflowing. I'm going to give you hope. Hope that transcends all your sin, all the the deadly things that that she had been doing in her life. I'm going to transcend all of that. I'm giving you me. Two thirsts, two places of worship. The woman clearly knows that the conversation is on a spiritual plane. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. That's really great. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I think something that's going on here, try not to psychologize the text too much, I think she's deferring a little bit. I think it's easier sometimes to have a conversation about theology than what's really going on in our hearts. It's easier to sit down and talk shop. Nice, neat, clean lines, common ground. It's easier to do that than to deal with what's going on in our hearts. He just utterly exposed her, and now she wants to talk about where to worship. I see a shift here. Jesus gives... A three-part response in verses 21 to 24. He does not dismiss. He uses the opportunity to draw her right back to the gospel. So kind. So patient. Because, in fact, there there was a capital in Samaria. Mount Gerizim. Again, this is very old. You can read the history of it. They set up their own temple. So these mixed-breed Israeli Assyrians that settled the area had their own temple. She's right. And that was a huge dispute. Hey, we're right. We worship over here. And you say you're right. You worship down there. Jesus enters right into it. And first he says, soon neither location, Gerizim or Jerusalem will matter. Neither are going to be the place. Next, he makes his point plain. Salvation is from the Jews, not the nation itself. But the Messiah will come from the Jewish people. So if one is going to be right, actually it is Jerusalem. It is Judea. That is the center. But it's because the Messiah is coming from there. Third and finally, worship. He he talks about this hour. This is really beautiful. He, He talks about this hour. This hour is coming and it now is. And that's an apocalyptic hour. An apocalyptic time, again, where heaven touches earth and the the very Son of God will die on a cross in that hour. He said, the hour is coming and now is where where you worship God isn't going to matter. Jerusalem is going to get wiped out. It's it's not going to be the same. What's going to matter is that you worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what matters. This hour... Again, comes up again and again and again, and when it does, we're meant to pay attention. This hour is Jesus coming. 
He says, you're going to be able to worship me wherever you are. In spirit and in truth. He's saying one day worship will shift in the way that everybody thinks about it. It will no longer be about a place. Worship will all center on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dominating in worship, not a location, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, not sacred space. Worship is full. It's worship of Christ, knowing Him. The woman gets it at least a little bit. She gets that he's talking about Messiah. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He finally gets her there. He gets her thinking about the Messiah. And then he drops this bomb. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. You're looking at him. I'm the one you want. All your sin and all the ways that you're thirsty and go into other things, I'm the one you want. He is the answer for the thirst. He is the answer for the place of worship. He is the answer to all of it. He is the key. And he reveals it to her. I am he. He is living water. He is the cause of life springing up in her and the opportunity for you and I today to have living water welling up in us to eternal life. It's Jesus. He's it. He is the answer to her shame. She'll say it. You'll have to come back next week. She'll say this. He knows me. He knows me. He's astonished by that. He's breaking through her sin and her shame. He knows everything I ever did, and he offered me living water. Jesus is the Messiah that this woman needs. He's the long-awaited Messiah that you and I need. In our thirst for satisfaction in this life, let us drink deeply the well of Jesus himself. Everything else will leave us thirsty again and again and again. He satisfies fully. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful evangelism that you were utterly unafraid to open your heart to someone so different Thank you for launching into this incredible conversation. Thank you for the offer of overcoming shame and guilt. Lord, may we analyze the thirsts of our hearts this morning. And may we drink deeply of you, Jesus, the fountain of life. In Christ's name, amen.